today uh, continuing our story series. And I wonder if you've ever been in one of those situations where you've been having dinner with somebody or you've been chatting to someone and you know the conversation needs to change. Either because you're feeling awkward or you're on a topic area that's just a little bit awkward. And you know you've got a responsibility to try and shift the conversation in such a way that what you've just been talking about is past so that you can move forwards. Well, I've been reading a wonderful book at the moment, and this book is called Unreasonable Hospitality. It's about the restaurant business. I know nothing about the restaurant business, but it's about hospitality industry and this restaurant in America that set out to be the best restaurant in the world. Okay, Uh, And they, they did really well to the point that they got invited to the awards for the best 100 restaurants in the world in New York. Big deal. So they turned up at this very posh do. You know, all the famous celebrity chefs from all around the world were there, 100 best restaurants in the world. They got there wondering where they would be in the top 100. And then the announcements went off, number 100, and it was them. So they had these weird emotions where they were at the table, if you like. They were in the top 100 but they were bottom of the table in the top 100. And there's this quote that really struck me in the book, and it's here on the screen, it's this. Our restaurant was excellent and made a lot of people happy, but it hadn't yet changed the conversation. As I read that, I felt God really kind of speak to me. Because I can't help getting out of my mind that I think the conversation needs to change right now, both within our nation, and dare I say, within the church too. Over the last couple of years, some research has been done, we've mentioned it before, called Talking Jesus. It's some research done by the Church of England, the Salvation Army, the Evangelical Alliance, lots of other organisations. We've mentioned it, and it's finding out what the UK thinks about Jesus, about Christians, and about the church. It's fascinating. Just Google Talking Jesus Report. You can read it online. And we've been encouraging groups at some point over the year to do a course called the Talking Jesus course that goes alongside it. How we might be involved in just sharing our faith in a way that's really easy and engaging. But the overall research reveals several things. Firstly, it reveals a muted but a positive view of Jesus. So when these people, the UK, were asked, what do they think of Jesus? The top three answers are spiritual, peaceful, and leader. When they're asked about individual Christians that they know, the top three answers were this. Friendly, caring, good-humoured. That's good, isn't it? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a good laugh. Go on, turn to the person next to you. Apparently, that's what the UK think of individual Christians. That's good, isn't it? (laughs) What's striking then when the research revealed what people in the UK think of the church? So not individual Christians, but the church. Here are the top three answers. Hypocritical, narrow-minded, before then some good stuff, friendly. What do you notice? I can't help noticing that there are two major conversations in here that need to change. The first is the conversation about who Jesus really is. Is Jesus really just a spiritual, wise leader? Because that's what the majority of people think. And the second conversation is clearly about the church, about Christianity, if you like. What if the first answers that came to the mind about the church were not hypocritical and narrow-minded? 
Well, as we continue our series, we're going to focus on changing those two conversations, the conversation around Jesus and the conversation about the church and Christianity. So firstly, changing the conversation about Jesus. You will know if you've been with us over the last few weeks, and if you haven't, do catch up on YouTube. Look back over the talks. We've been going through Mark's gospel, encouraging people to share their stories as we hear our part in the big story. And and the first half of Mark's gospel is really clear about who is Jesus. And there's this question in chapter 8, as Judy was sharing last week, who do people say I am? And then Jesus turns it personally to Peter. Who do you say I am? The most important question any of us can ever answer. Who do we say Jesus is? And Peter rightly says you are the Messiah. And at that moment, having identified who Jesus is, the whole of Mark's gospel radically shifts. We get an amazing turn. And right then comes this moment up the mountain. Mark chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. Then he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. This moment called the transfiguration. It's an amazing moment because it totally changes the conversation around Jesus. He is not just another prophet or hero or spiritual leader. He's way more, friends. And as this amazing moment happens, all of Mark's readers, as they were reading this centuries ago, would have known one moment that came to mind immediately from the Old Testament, which is the bit of the Bible before Jesus. Centuries before, in the Old Testament, the hero Moses went up a mountain to appear before God. And it has very similar echoes. Here it is on the screen, Exodus chapter 33. Then Moses said to God, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then he has this amazing encounter where, as it were, God hides him in a, in a, in a cleft of a rock, passes by, so Moses just catches a glimpse, if you like, of the back of his train, as it were. The, not train, choo-choo, train robes, you know, whatever. And then comes down the mountain again with the Ten Commandments for his people. And we read this in Exodus 34. When Aaron and the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. So Picture the disciples up a mountain with Jesus. What would they have thought when Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah? And Jesus didn't just have a radiant face, but had dazzling robes, whiter than ever they'd seen. The conversation about Jesus is changing. This is not just some wise spiritual leader. But something else, you notice that Moses was told he couldn't see God's face and live. No wonder the disciples begin to freak out and say, Quick, let, let's build you some tabernacles, let's build you some tents, because they know they can't see the glory of God and live. So they want to protect themselves and preserve this moment. And they don't die. So do you see what's happening here? They catch a glimpse of the glory of God and now they don't die. No wonder they scrabble around trying to work out what to do. They try to build these shelters. 
And then you get to the very end when suddenly, that last verse, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Friends, if you haven't got the picture by now, this is so important. The disciples do what they know they should do. They see the glory of God. They want to protect themselves. They can't see his presence. And then they hear the same voices at Jesus' baptism, a voice of love. And then all of a sudden, the other prophets, their heroes were gone. Friends, the conversation about Jesus has changed. Mark is making it so clear. Jesus is not just another prophet like Moses or Elijah. The way to God is now open. They don't need to fear death in his presence anymore. And this is once and for all because Moses and Elijah are now gone at the very end. Author Timothy Keller says this, Jesus does not point to the glory of God as Elijah and Moses and every other prophet has done. Jesus is the glory of God in human form. Why is this important? Well, Mark doesn't give you the option of saying he's just a spiritual leader who is wise. He doesn't give you the option to think that Jesus is one of the greatest prophets. He doesn't give you the option that he's a kind of hero to model our lives on. I saw this photo on social media this week. I love it. It's from the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio. Brazilian photographer Leonardo Sense spent years, three years, trying to capture this moment where you've got the figure of the Christ Redeemer statue, as it were, holding up the moon. Dare I say, that photo is far more accurate than what many of us think of Jesus. As Hebrews says in the New Testament, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now, the implication of this is massive, friends. You see, the problem with any other system, any worldview, any belief system, whether a religious tradition or just some sort of secular idea that downplays who Jesus is, leaves us with a nagging doubt. If Jesus is just another prophet, then we still don't know how God might respond to us. If Jesus is just a wise spiritual leader, then we're no wiser as to what God thinks of us. If there is a God, we want to know what he's like and how he's going to respond to us, don't we? And here on the mountain, we know without a shadow of a doubt what he's like. He's divine, glorious, powerful, majestic, holding up the moon, but also accessible, compassionate, kind. Any other form of religion or salvation or self-salvation leaves the response before God in doubt. How is he going to treat me? How is he going to treat what I've done in my life? Whereas we know once for all who he really is. In a couple of weeks at Tally Ho on November the 5th, we're going to celebrate some baptisms. And I was meeting with somebody this week as they were sharing their story. And you'll hear his story along with others. And the story of how he seldom can be in church without crying because he knows the journey of his life and therefore what God has done in his life. Friends, Jesus is the real deal. The conversation needs to change. So that's the first thing. Conversation needs to change about Jesus. But the second is this. We need to be involved in changing the conversation around Christianity. 
You don't need me to tell you that we are in a society in which there is scandal after scandal across the whole world, but also in the church, and in varying traditions, not one particular Christian tribe. So often, so many scandals of leadership gone wrong, power being abused, people in it for self-gain. Did you know in America, for every one person who converts to Christianity, five convert out of Christianity? Did you know in the UK, over half of people who are unbelievers, saying they're unbelievers, were raised as a Christian? The conversation about Christianity needs to change. Well, as they come down the mountain, their conversation shifts. Did you catch it? They're coming down off this amazing moment. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. They're really confused. They've just seen the glory of Jesus, and now he's talking about death and rising from the dead. What? In fact, six times in these two chapters, Jesus talks about suffering, dying, and rising again. After we've worked out who Jesus is, end of chapter 8, now Jesus says what he's come to do, suffer, die, rise again. This is crucial. Because they were presuming that if Jesus is the real deal, and that moment on the mountain showed it, then surely all that that means is victory, success, strength, power, domination. Yeah! And Jesus tells them, no, the way of God is down. The way of God is to the cross. I can't help wondering if the same is true in this moment in our culture. We live in a culture of success in which we presume that God's ways must lead to a life of comfort and ease. Now. So the church tries to grab power and cultural domination and influence. And leaders so often do the same. They presumed that God's rescuer would mean ease and comfort now. And I can't help thinking that if I'm honest, even for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've made Jesus into a little divine slot machine. That if we just do the right thing, as it were, put the money in the right way, pray the right things, do the right things, live a good life, then God will give us what we want. And even in our relationships, sometimes we therefore spend our time correcting and trying to change others for our benefit. Jesus makes this clear a little bit later on, his pathway. Because after this moment, Jesus and the disciples are kind of going on and the disciples are talking about something. And it's very embarrassing, this moment. They came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argue about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. I wonder what we'd say in church if Jesus came to us, what are you arguing about? I suspect many of us would keep quiet just like them. <laughs> because Jesus makes very clear the nature of 
biblical Christianity. Service. If you want to be first, if you want your needs met, be last. Just as Jesus is about to model. Notable, they discover who Jesus is. Now they work out what it looks like to follow him. I don't know if you saw this week, in the middle of all of the tragedies in the Middle East, when the archbishops in Jerusalem, who said, I will offer myself in exchange for the hostages. He was very serious about it. Uh, One of the people I follow on Twitter retweeted this and said, this is Christianity. Self-service for the sake of others, putting oneself in their place. In a world in which the church can so often seem to side with political power, you don't need me to tell you the stories from certain sides of the pond, (laughs) or cultural influence, or we seek favour, or we seek relevance, or we preach, for example, in our relationships that if we just follow God, everything will work out smoothly. Or or we live in such a way that getting married or, or, or in our families that surely people are there to serve me. And even in our role as church, Sometimes we get it the wrong way round. It's about me. I had an email this week. I was talking with somebody about the buildings, the future, uh, what Riverside might look like. And if you haven't been, along, uh, haven't been coming along very recently, we're, we're praying and longing to move from here to find a new venue. And somebody very generously emailed me. I had a good conversation with him. I'm not going to tell you his name. He asked not to be, not to be known. Because he was basically, with the discussion was, what kind of building, what kind of church would you like it to be? And his email is this, the church of my dreams. He said, the church, he said, I once heard somebody say, the church is the only organization that should the focus on the comfort of its non-members. I would love a church on my doorstep in Leafy, dot, 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 where he lives. Everybody would be welcome, but the majority would be middle class people like me. We would have a cafe so that every time I went for lunch or a coffee and cake, I would feel that I was supporting the work of the church. The church would grow predominantly with affluent people from my area, and the increased giving would go towards the ministry in poorer parts of the city. I would even be willing to travel now and again to the mission field to volunteer a couple of times a week. We could help people where they are with the hope that they slowly become more like us. And maybe when they're able to fit in properly, properly, they can even travel to our church. Then there would be church social events every night and we'd be the envy of everyone around us. I love the honesty, a playful honesty. Following Jesus means following somebody that went to the cross, stooping to serve. And one of the things I love about Riverside is what is happening right Now, because friends, I think we're modelling this in so many ways. Did you know in the last year, £270,000 worth of debt has been wiped off from people's lives? Did you know in the last year, over 1,700 children took part in Riverside Performing Arts workshops, showing them how to have healthy relationships? Did you know in the last year, 191 different families have accessed Stay and Play Our Toddler Ministry on a Monday and Tuesday? Did you know 
Uh, we have 176 different under 18-year-olds who've accessed some of our children's and youth work during this last year. Did you know around 600 shoppers have been through the pantry since April? Did you know that 20% of the kids on our books have additional needs of some sort, which as a parent of a child with additional needs, thrills me? Because it shows that Riverside is a place of welcome for some of the most stretched, embattled, and weary families in our city. Friends, in many respects, we are modelling, stooping, and serving. Long may it continue. And as we come to a close, we're going to respond. I just want to ask you, therefore, personally, what this might look like. The good news is I can't help get out of my mind that Riverside is increasingly good news for our city as so many other churches are too. And you, as you go into your workplace with a determination to surf, you will be good news for your city, your workplace. In our relationships, rather than a a mindset of, I want to change you, if we went with that posture of serving, and if we both went in it in in a romantic relationship, both would win. In our families, rather than always trying to kind of moan and look at others, maybe if we went with that posture of serving, how might that change? Even in our church, if we went with the posture of not what I can get out of a certain song or certain worship, but actually I want to serve. Do you know 176 different people are in, have been involved over the last year in putting on Sunday morning gatherings? Serving. So maybe we are involved in changing the conversation. And what might it look like this week in your world, in your workplace, in your playground, in your schoolroom, wherever it is, to help change the conversation around Jesus? And maybe that people will begin to see Jesus really is good news. The one who served humanity by giving his life and then shattering the biggest enemy of all, death itself. Friends, 